Amen. Hey, thank you guys very much. That was incredible. Chris, thank you for coming and, and leading us in worship. Uh, if, if you come here all the time, this is not Jeremy. Jeremy is off this weekend, and he's sitting right here. So he was supposed to be away skiing, but I guess not. Couldn't stay away from church project, huh? <laughs> hey, if you're a first-time guest, welcome. We're glad that you're here at, at Church Project. Um, here's what you need to do very first thing. Just shake it up. Just, just loosen up a little bit. Uh, we're, we're, we're studying a pretty incredible book called the Bible. There's a lot of life in this thing. Um, and there's a lot of joy in this thing. And, and getting together with people that are studying the Bible and chasing after God, I mean, this is a, this is a joyous thing to do. And so I love Sundays as we, as we come together. We get to look around at each other and just smile a little bit. You know, we get to share some secrets that God is, is maybe showing us in our lives and, and talk about who He is. And yeah, seeing some incredible worship and, and just spend some time together on Sundays. And I encourage you, go to our house churches too. Go to our house churches because that's when where we break this down. We go to smaller groups and we get to study the scripture and we get to talk and we get to pray for each other. And, it, and those are intimate settings that are very, very safe. So I'd encourage you, if you're not involved in a house church, find one. Get, get plugged in. How's that sound? And then I'll encourage you in one more thing just because I'm very passionate about this. This ugly Christmas sweater party karaoke thing is going to be awesome. Chad Harding has promised to wear an incredible sweater and do some incredible karaoke. But I'm telling you, it's going to be fun. So Friday, come, and if you want to bring desserts, you can bring desserts. Weston, we'll bring desserts. Bring your sweater, and we'll sing some, some fun songs. So, hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. If you need a Bible, they're on the lamps on the right and on the left. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 22, and we're going to be covering verses 7 through 20. Uh, this is going to be a really uh, good message as we look at specifically the Lord's Supper and communion. How many of you have ever taken a Lord's Supper or communion in your life? Okay, so most of us have. Some of us have not done that. Uh, but I, I have a question before we even get started here. And it, it's kind of this. You have any time in your life where you're just going through life just normal and you come across a smell and it brings back something that's happened in your life? Or a song like comes on the radio and you think of this song and all of a sudden you're like at that junior high dance again, stiffed arm, you know, just dancing like this, scared to death. Or, you know, just, just these moments, these, these things that bring back and flash back and remind you of things. Maybe it's a, an article of clothing. You know, I, I had seen a, a dress uh, that, uh, that was one of our daughters she wore when she was little young and, and we gave it away and I saw another girl wearing it. And I flashed back to that moment when my daughter was wearing that dress. Are there things that, that bring back remembrance to you in your life? Another one of the things that we have, and, and we kind of have it as like this praise thing, is if you come to our house, um, we have a, a little magnet. And this magnet is an A. It's a silver A. And it's, and it's kind of cut up and stuff. Because what this magnet was is one year our, our family was driving over Monarch Pass, and we ended up getting in this wreck with this truck. And and my daughter ended up going to the hospital. My wife ended up going to the hospital. And it was a very scary thing. And we went back and, and saw the car and saw the truck, Toyota Tundra, that smashed into our little uh, car. And uh, you know, I was so thankful no one died. And I ripped the A off the truck, Toyota Tundra. Ripped it off because it's all cut up. And, and we made that into like a, a remembrance thing. So we see it on the refrigerator. We remember that, that moment that, that God just 
put the angels right there. You know, stopped it just right there when it could have been devastating. And so we see that and it reminds us of that moment to be thankful. As we get in and we begin to talk about the Lord's Supper, man, I pray that in our hearts, it's kind of like that Toyota Tundra A. That thing where we, we look at and when we participate in the, in the Lord's Supper and communion, it's, it's a remembrance of what God has done for us. That special moment. So let's look at the, the scripture. Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. I'm going to go ahead and read it, and then we'll begin to see what God has for us in this. Verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of that house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Let's look at verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I look at these verses, and I think about the Lord's Supper. I I think about communion. I think about things that that bring back moments of of gratefulness for me. And I, I, I pray that as we begin to unpack these verses and talk about what God has for you, it will stir up something in you that may even bring you back to the point where you remembered or you realized for the very first time what Jesus has done for you, personally for you. And it may bring you back to a place of thankfulness. Or maybe you're in this room for the first time and you've never heard about Jesus and what he's done for you. And as we begin to go through this, I pray that your heart would be open and your mind would be open that he would reveal himself to you in this place. See, Jesus is love and Jesus is hope. He has paid an ultimate sacrifice for every single one of us. And that should, as we've just come from a week of thanksgiving, put a smile on our face as we remember what God has done for us. So let's look at this for a little bit. In verse 7, um, as, as we're talking right here, it says that it came, then came the day of the unleavened bread, the feast of the unleavened bread, and this is where the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Originally, these were separate feasts during this time. These were separate feasts, but later they were combined into one eight-day-long feast. And people often then called it the Passover week. It began on the 14th of Nisan, That's the calendar day. That's between March and April. So this is kind of the time frame that this this Passover is, is happening right now. And during these feasts, 
during this celebration, this is typically what would happen. So we can kind of know context of what would happen during one of these feasts. During the Passover, it would start at about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And in the temple itself, the ritual slaughtering began. And this, is, this was completed in three huge shifts. Because at this time, people would have to come to Jerusalem. And we're not talking just 15 you know, Jewish people or Israelites. We're talking 100, maybe 200,000 people coming. And they're all coming to this Passover. And they're all coming to do this sacrificial thing. And so they had to do multiple shifts of priests. There were just thousands and thousands of people coming to do this. And so when the first group entered into the temple courts and after it was filled... The gates of the temple were closed. A priest would take a shofar and he would play a, a long sound and just blow this, this, this blast and the sacrifices would begin. And the pilgrims, the people that had come, they would approach and they, they, were, they would get in two long rows and they would hold, uh, the, the, they would sacrifice the, the lamb, the unblemished lamb themselves and the priest would hold a, a basin of silver and gold. And each Israelite would slaughter his own offerings. The priest would catch the blood in these basins of gold and silver. And they would toss, the priest would toss the blood at the base of the altar. And as the offerers left the temple, as the Israelites would leave the temple, the the slain lamb that they had just offered for a sacrifice for all their sins, they would take the lamb and they would droop it over their shoulder and they would walk out with the skin and the lamb and they would go and begin to prepare it for Passover. This is a bloody ordeal. This is not clean. There's blood everywhere. As we talk about the Old Testament, and we, and we talk about the need for blood, perfect blood to be sacrificed, this is something that the Israelites, the Jewish people, took very, very serious. And it wasn't clean. Because of sin, because of the wrongdoings that had happened the previous year in their lives, they would all take the trek to Jerusalem and they would partake in the Passover sacrifice and this feast. Well, as Jesus is teaching us right here and as he's in this passage right now talking about this, he's referring back to this and he's actually practicing this Passover feast and going through this, but what is he doing in a greater scheme of things? Jesus is preparing himself to be the Passover lamb. He's saying, what was an old covenant deal right here? Old covenant, I'm preparing myself. And here in the next day or two, as he's teaching this, he's saying, I am going to be the Passover lamb. I am preparing myself to do this. And we enter into a a new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31, if you want to look at that and read that. Beautiful. So Jesus is teaching about the Passover feast, and he's saying, I am going to be the new Passover lamb. The one that's slain, the one that covers over, the perfect blood that covers over all the sin. What was done for the Israelites in literal blood of lamb is going to be done for me in in human form for the rest of humanity. And the disciples don't quite know this yet, but Jesus is setting this up. Then we get to verses 8 through 13. What did you notice about verses 8 through 13 as we read through this? Is Jesus looking at his disciples and he's saying, he's saying, go, go and do these things. And he's caring about the small details of this. Like he's looked at every T, he's dotted every I. He said, I am doing this and I'm doing it systematically. I'm fulfilling every prophecy and I'm going to show you in the rest of the world that I am the Messiah, that I am the Savior, that I am the one that's going to be sacrificed. And he looks at his disciples and says, I've looked at every little detail 
and I've taken care of it. Church, I want to ask us a question as we pause and think about this. Do you think Jesus cares about every detail of your life? Do you think? Or, or do you think he's just kind of like, whatever. Do whatever you want. As we look at Jesus preparing for the Passover, he's taking care of every little detail. His disciples don't understand, but what do they do? They follow him. They trust him. They obey him. And they do exactly what he says. So Jesus says, go. Why is he being so secretive? Why isn't he saying, go to this one place and do this one thing? Well, if you think in the previous passage, what has just happened? Judas Iscariot is about to betray him. And so Jesus is being secretive at this time because he wants to have a Passover with his disciples and he doesn't want Judas to to already betray him and not have this Passover. And so he's being secretive and he's telling his disciples, go and amongst these hundreds of thousands of people, you're going to find someone carrying water. But we're going to do it. We're going to make it a little more obvious. Usually women would be the ones carrying the water at this time. He says, you're going to find a man carrying water and ask him, tell him these things. Among the hundreds of thousands of people, you will find him. God's in control. Jesus is in control of every detail. And he's thinking about how it's going to play out. I just have to believe that as Jesus has come into our life, church, as he's come into who we are, as we've opened our hearts to him today, and we've said, Jesus, take control of my life. I want to be a vessel that you live in. I want to be a regenerated heart, a regenerated mind. Use me, teach me, love me. I just have to think that Jesus cares for every detail of our entire life. There's no aspect where Jesus says, oh, that, I don't really care what you do. Like, you know, do what you want. Because as Christ followers, we are Jesus. He's in us. God is in us. His Holy Spirit is in us, guiding and directing, ordaining our every step so we can smile and say, Jesus, use me. I will go wherever you go. I will do whatever you want me to do. God, I am open vessel for you to use. So what are the things in our life right now that we're holding back from God, saying, oh, Jesus doesn't care about that? No, he cares. Take it to God. Talk to him. Ask him how he would use you, what he would do in you in this time, whatever you're going through. So as Jesus has told his disciples to go and find this man, we look in verse 14. uh, And then came the hour. What hour? Then then came the hour. This is the twilight of the 15th of Nisan. Am I saying that right? Every time I say Nisan, everyone's laughing at me. Nisan, is that better? Nasan. This is this is the this is the celebration. Uh, be, this is the twilight of the fifteenth of Nasan, and what's happening is they're reclining on the left elbow around a horseshoe table, and this horseshoe table is called the triclinium, and it's symbolic. The disciples, they're with Jesus. They're, they're in this Passover supper. They're in this feast. And, and they're in this horseshoe table. And they're reclining. And, and even the reclining on the left shoulder or elbow is symbolic. Because it's in symbolic that the Israelites are no longer being slaves. And as we begin to look at the symbolicness of what's going to take place during this Passover meal and feast. You're going to see how much it would mean. Especially if you were an Israelite. And you were in bondage in, in, in Egypt. And God set you free from that bondage. So even the table that they're laying, uh, leaning on their elbows, even the way that they are placed is very, very symbolic. 
So in verse 14 came the hour he reclined at the table with the, with the apostles with them. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus is about to go the next day. He knows that he's going to be crucified. And do you notice what he's saying right here? Do you notice even the posture of what he has here? He's, he's, not, he's not freaking out. He's not ordering things. He's not going chaotic. He's, he's not going ballistic. What would you do if you knew the next day you were going to go and experience this gruesome death on the cross? Would you be as calm as Jesus? Jesus is looking there, and he's looking at the people, and he's saying, I have longed to have this Passover meal with you because you don't quite know what's about to happen, but I know, I know, and I'm spending my last few moments here on earth, and I'm spending it with the people that I love, and I'm going to give you instruction, and I'm going to give you life and it reminds me of Philippians 2.8 and it says and he being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross and he's looking at the apostles and he goes I'm going to be obedient to death and I'm going to serve and I'm going to love for your sake have you ever been in a, in a hospital room or have you ever been somewhere when someone is <laughs> knocking on heaven's door, when someone is, is, is about to pass, when someone is about to die? Have you ever been in these scenarios? Have you, or have you ever talked to someone who, they're in the later stage of, of life, whatever that may be, not even age, but their, their life is just ending and it's coming to a close. Have you ever been in conversation with someone like this? I have. And it's never about the new video game that's coming out. What's it about? It's about the things that matter. It's not about the shiny stuff. It's not about our 401ks. It's not about any of that. It's about, it's about family. It's about the church. It's about life. I saw a tattoo. This is a completely side topic. And maybe you've seen this tattoo. And this is guy, like he's proud of this tattoo. It's on his chest. And it says, no regrets. But it's spelled wrong. And then, and then on the bottom, it says, well, maybe some, maybe some regrets or whatever, you know. But people, people, when they're ending the end of their life, you know, they may have some regrets, but they, they want what matters the most to them right around them. And that's usually the people, friends and family. Think back on the good things in life. And Jesus, he's, he's nearing the last moments of his life. And what is he doing? He's timed it perfectly so he, he's entering Jerusalem during the Passover feast. He timed it perfectly so that people know that he is going to be the sacrificial lamb. The once and for all, it's going to be him. And what's he doing the night before? He's leaning at this Passover table with his apostles, the people that he spent the last three, three and a half years with. And he's doing life with them. And he's instructing them. And he's loving them. I love the heart of our Savior. I love what matters to him. We matter to him. His people, we matter to him. What lie is Satan teaching you and, and telling you right now? Is, is Satan getting in your ear and whispering that you don't matter? That because of this great sin or this thing that you've done, that Jesus doesn't love you as much? That, look at Judas just betrayed him. And he's sitting there with Judas on his left the place of honor, and spending time with him. Jesus loves you. 
Whatever you're going through today, as big as as small, things that you may regret, mistakes you may have made, Jesus loves you. And I want to ask you a question. Have you given control of your life to Jesus and said, God, thank you for this love. Thank you that you've given me this love. Thank you that you've given me this, this sacrifice and this forgiveness. But to you, God, I give you control of my life and I ask forgiveness of my sin. You love me, but even greater than that, you've covered over all my sin because of the sacrifice that you made on the cross for me. We get down to verses 17 through 20. And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time. This is the Lord's Supper. This is communion. What is it? Why do we do this? So let's read verses 17 through 20 together and then we'll talk about it. And he took a cup, leaning on his elbow with the people that he loves about to go and die. And he took a cup And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup. After he had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is very symbolic. If you've ever been to a a Seder service, you know the symbolic, the things that are done in a Seder service and what they represent. And Jesus is going through this in the Passover. And and during these services, during the tradition of this time, they would go through very ritualistic things that had deep symbolic meaning. They would start with prayer during, during this dinner, during this celebration, during this feast, during this time of remembrance. They would have four cups of wine that was taken at different points. They would wash hands at different points. They would sing Hallel, songs of praise, which is found in Psalms 113 through 118 at two different times they would take bread and they would dip it in bitter herb and sauce and they would have lamb like it was very symbolic and and very um planned the way that they would do this celebration time and it's said that during the third cup of this celebration of this feast of what's going on jesus said verses 17 and 20 so it's near the end of everything that they've done ritualistically and we get to the third cup and it's said that this is when jesus takes what was symbolic to them and makes it symbolic to the rest of the world, to the rest of history from that point forward. So let's talk about the Seder for a second and some of the things that are involved in this, this Passover feast and what would happen. They had bitter herbs. Why is bitter herbs part of of this celebration? What was there to remind the people taking it of the bitter slavery that they were in? So they would literally taste bitter herbs and it would remind them. And they would remember, kind of like the Toyota A, kind of like the music that comes back to us, that flashes back to them. The bitter herbs would remind them of the freedom that they had been given out of slavery. There was stewed fruit. And by the color and the consistency of what they would take and what they would eat, it would remind them of the misery of them making bricks for Pharaoh. 
And so that was very symbolic as well. They had roasted lamb. The roasted lamb was symbolic of the the lamb's blood applied to the doorposts as the angel of death passed over the night before all the firstborn sons of Egypt were, were killed and the Israelites were set free. And so the lamb would remind them of this. And I, I want to say something at this point. These are all prescriptions, not descriptions. These are all things that are symbolic. These are not things that we're supposed to follow to a T and to an I and do exactly the same way every time. And, and I say that because of this. If you read the Gospel of John and you read the account and Gospel of John, this is a good Bible study for you this week, okay? John does not record the Lord's Supper itself. I think possibly why John does not record the Lord's Supper itself. He talks a whole lot about the conversations and stuff that happen. I think possibly why he does not record the Lord's Supper itself is because he wrote the book later and the first century church had already begun to see this as an actual channel of grace. Okay, are you following with me? Like John already, he wrote the book later, and the first century church might have gotten to the point where they were seeing the Lord's Supper as the thing that actually ushered in grace instead of Jesus himself. And so they start moving from a ritualistic thing that's very symbolic, and John knows this and starts to steer the church away and says, this is beautiful, and this is an ordinance that God has said to do, the Lord's Supper, but that in itself is not where grace and where love comes from. It just reminds me of the grace giver. There's many views on the Lord's Supper. And I want to go through a couple of these views. And at the end of this, I want us to participate together, if you would, in Lord's Supper, in the communion. Here's some different views of the Lord's Supper and communion. Transubstantiation. You ever heard that word? That's a, that's a huge big word. And, and what this means, this is more of a Roman Catholic view, and this is literally that, the, this, that when you take what, what we're about to do, the cracker, and when you take the blood, that literally that is the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, quite literally, not figuratively. It's a view held by, by the, the Roman Catholic Church more than anyone. There is a, another view, consubstiation. Man, these are hard words. What is that? Well, this is more of a, of, of a Lutheran view. It's, it's that the body, uh, it becomes the body and the blood in me. So I eat the cracker, I, I eat the, or drink the grape juice, but it becomes the body in me. So Jesus' literal body in me as it comes into me. That's a view. Calvin, he emphasized the spiritual presence of the Lord, like the Lord is with us when we're doing this. Okay, that's a view. Now, now, this guy, I don't like his last name, but Zwinglin. Zwinglin, that's more of a, of a Baptist view, and I think this is, this is more of a view that, that represents Christianity at, at large. And, and this is that the body, the bread and the, and the grape juice represents the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Disciples during this time, the apostles, as Jesus is sitting there, just picture it. We're all apostles. We're sitting there. We're all leaning there. 
They understood that when Jesus was speaking, he was speaking figuratively as he was holding the bread and saying, this is my body broken for you. They understand that he's speaking figuratively. He's not literally holding his body. Here's the deal. This is not something to die on. <laughs> I don't know where, where you fall in, in, your, in your thoughts of transubstantiation and all these other things. I don't know where you fall on that or, or what, where you lean on this, but here's the deal. This is a physical reminder of a spiritual deep truth. And we as the church, we're in a constant danger of forgetting We're in constant danger of forgetting what God has done for us and being thankful for what God has done for us. And so I want to ask you this question, church. Are you thankful and do you remember what God has done for you? He says, do this in remembrance of me. Whether you think this is my literal body or my literal blood or what it represents who I am, church, it's more about a heart condition and a head condition that says this. Where are you in regards to Jesus? And are you holding him in high regards? And is this more about you and your thoughts and your theology or is it more about Jesus and what he's done for you? This is a physical reminder of a deep spiritual truth. I want to read 1 Corinthians 11, verses 26 through 29. If you have your Bible, you can move over to that. 1 Corinthians 11, 26 through 29. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. What do these verses say? It says this is a special deal. The Lord's Supper, the communion, It's a very special deal that God has ordered his church, his people to do and to partake in and to remember and to be a part of. But warning, church, don't come at this casually. Don't come at this as just another piece of cracker and and, and piece of grape juice. Don't come at this trying to impress the church at large as you walk through the line and do this. You come to this out of remembrance of what God has done for you. You come to communion out of a heart that's been regenerated and on fire and on love for God as we pause and we hit the brakes and we say, thank you, God, for what you've done. So can you take communion if your heart hasn't been regenerated? Sure, it'll just be cracker and bread, juice. The real power in it is what God does in our heart and in our mind. As we partake, we remember, we're thankful for what God has done in our life. I can't think of a better way to end a Thanksgiving week than to actually take communion. And to be so thankful for what God has done in our life. His body broken on the cross, hung on the cross. And as we take communion, it represents that blood that covered over all of our sins as we entered into the new covenant from the old covenant. And we can say thank you for God for that. His blood, his body. This is about remembering what Christ has done for us and who he is. It's about him. 
the apostles, the disciples at this time, they were thinking in anticipation of what this, this meal meant looking forward. When we do communion, we're thankful as we look backwards at what Jesus has done for us. In Jesus in verse 19, he says, do this in remembrance of me. He commands it. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. And not only my death, but in my life as well. Remember who I am and how I died, but actually how I lived as well. There is no more fundamental reminder of God's grace than to recall how our relationship to God was purchased. Let me say that again. There is no more fundamental reminder of God's grace than to recall how our relationship to God was purchased. By taking part in this meal, by taking part in communion, we make a public statement more powerful than uttering a creed, more powerful than just using our words. We recognize that our very substance of life comes from him. At Church Project, we have communion out every week. And I keep pointing over here because it's over here. We have communion out every week. Other churches do it once a month. Other churches do it once a quarter, maybe once a year during Easter, have a big Seder meal. I'd love to do that as well. I would love for our church, as we gather on Sunday mornings, I would love for our church body to be again getting in a place where as we open the scripture and we read it and we study it and as we sing praises to God, we also have part of who, what we do and who we are as a moment of reflecting on God and pausing and saying, God, thank you. I remember. I will not forget. I will hold this up every week. I will hold this up on Sundays. I will hold this up on Wednesdays. We have those moments that we won't forget. We build that altar. We say, this is it. I will not forget. God, it's about you and not about me. And we can get in such a pattern of going about life that we forget to do this. And what a shame that as Christ followers, we would stop and make this just something irrelevant. So we offer it every week. I don't know when God is going to grab your heart. I don't know when he's going to move you to the point of tears. It may be on a third Sunday of the month. It may be on the second Sunday of the month. I have no idea, but we're not going to limit it and say, okay, only one time a year are you going to be able to do this thing, and and you better be ready, and you better be thankful. No, we're going to open this up and say, church, as his body, we want to offer this to you to remember the things that God has done and do remembrance of him. So in saying that, we've talked a lot of words. We've used a lot of intellect. And now this is the point where we just say, okay, let's do this. I want to invite you right now, if you would, close your, close your Bibles. And we'll just spend a, a time of reflection right now. If you want to close your eyes and just hold out your hands in front of you, I'd encourage you to do that as well. And just say, God, in this place, I give you control of my life, every aspect of it, who you are. Pray that I can be more like you. God, please align my heart and soul with you today.
maybe in this place as you sit here, just spend a moment reflecting on who God is. What he's done on our behalf. He said, there was sin and that separated you from me. But I sent my son to die on the cross, to have his body broken, his blood spilled, as a final sacrifice for every sin in your life. Us, by our good deeds, couldn't do it. God entered this beautiful word called grace. He says, I cover you over. And I ask, as we sit here this morning, have you asked forgiveness of your sin? Have you said, God, please be the sacrifice for my sin? God, I accept your blood. Wash over my body. Thank you for your love and who you are. You were broken for me. God, I accept that. Here's my life. If for the first time today you're in this place and hearing this news, know this. Jesus loves you. He's paid the ultimate price for you to cover over all sins because the sin deserved death. The old covenant is past. The new covenant is here. And that grace is offered to you today. Will you accept Jesus into your heart, into your mind? For those of us that are regenerated, we're alive in Christ. We've come to the point in our life where we've said, God, this is my life. Take it. It's yours. Do whatever you want with it. If we've asked Jesus to take control of our life, this communion today is for you. I'm going to ask us in this place to participate in this. What will this look like? Well, it'll look like remembering what God has done in our heart, in our mind, for us And technically what it looks like is if you go to the back of the room and and then just start making your way to the right, take a piece of the cracker and dip it in the grape juice. And may that cracker represent the body, remind you of what he's done. And may that grape juice represent his blood and may it remind you of what it's done. Very symbolic, just like what what would happen during seders and what, what symbolizes the beautiful things that's happened. May this symbolize what God has done for you in your life. May you be reminded that it's not about you, but it's about him. So church, I pray that this be a deep moment reflection and intimate time with God in this place as we remember and celebrate who he is. If you would, we'll stand. We can worship God through the communion, worship God through singing, but this is about your time with God in this place.